0: We made it just in time. Come on, let's go get a seat. Hey, everybody, welcome to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Everybody, get a seat. Everybody, get something to drink. How about you got, uh, got your munchies going? Cool deal. Now, just sit back and enjoy the show. As always, I have lots of news to get to, so let's get right to it. A Florida trucking company files Chapter 11 bankruptcy. A private equity firm-owned motor carrier and its affiliates have filed for bankruptcy protection in the state of Florida. On September 27th, Cold Carriers Logistics, LLC, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Middle District of Florida, according to a report from Bloomberg Law. Cold Carriers-affiliated trucking companies include Interride Transport, Nat Trucking, Blue Sky Logistics, and Sunco Trucking were all listed in the bankruptcy filings. These mid sized regional carriers were acquired by cold carriers and consolidated into one company. Hundreds of trucks are affiliated by, or effect, excuse me, let me start over. Hundreds of trucks are affected by the bankruptcy filings. According to the FMCSA SAFER website, Gantt Trucking operates 100 true trucks. Interride Transport operates 136. Sunco Trucking operates 159. Blue Sky Logistics operates about 30. The bankruptcy protection will allow the company and affiliates continue to operate for the time being. Cold Carriers, owned by Orlando, Florida based private equity firm, KJM Capital. KJM Managing Director Ken Meister described the company's acquisition strategy in a 2018 interview with business view magazine quote i came to understand that there are a lot of mid-sized family-owned companies that have not invested in technology for efficiency processes financial reporting and accounting functions but still have an instinctively well-run business where they know the industry and have been successful for decades we believe that if we got involved, we could bring our expertise in finance and technology to improve and grow the business through some infrastructure investments, end quote. The bankruptcy filings list the company assets and liabilities at between 10 and $50 million. According to the company website, Coal Carriers, quote, specializes in moving temperature control freight and other protected cargoes for customers throughout the continental United States, end quote. There are a lot of companies that are doing this. They get investors. They're small base companies. They get these guys in here that are really savvy salesmen. This is my personal opinion, personal perspective. They're savvy sellers. They're savvy businessmen. Oh, hey, we can, you know, uh, help you out. We can help you out of your struggle or whatever and meet your technological needs for 51% uh, share of your company. And then when it comes into a little bit of hard times, up oh, we're closing the doors, or up oh, we're filing bankruptcy, or something like that, which is BS to me. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's just like brokers. I'm sorry, but anyway, on with the news. Remembering in an, uh, another news, remembering 49 years ago as a, to September 30th. A sniper blew up a semi hauling 20 tons of dynamite that killed the driver and put a hell of a hole in the ground. Today, or uh, excuse me, September 30th marked the 49th year anniversary of one of the most explosive moments in trucking history. The incident occurred on September 30th, 1970 at I-44 near Springfield, Missouri. Two weeks prior to the incident, Teamsters Local 823 had gone on strike against John Platt, Missouri-based trucking company Tri-State Motors. I remember Tri-State. They had the lime mint green, like pastel green trucks with the white writing on them, and they hauled a lot of explosives. Tri-State Motors continued to operate in spite of the strike. On September 30th, 48-year-old truck driver John Galt was operating a truck leased to Tri-State Motors, hauling a load of more than 20 tons of dynamite along I-44 en route to a mining area in southeastern Missouri. Shots were fired on Galt's truck, triggering a massive explosion that shattered windows 12 miles away in Springfield. A crater that was 50 feet wide and 30 feet deep was left on I-44 in the ground. Fragments of the truck were found for a quarter of a mile from the explosion. Galt died instantly in the explosion. Galt was a father of four making his first run for Tri-State Motors. No one else was killed or seriously hurt. A witness later reported seeing shots fired from a car and gave police the license plate number. Police were able to track down the car and found a 30 30 caliber rifle as well as a spent shell casing. Two Tri-State Company drivers and Teamster members, Bobby Lee Schuler and Gerald Lee Bowden, both 29 at the time, were charged with second-degree murder. Bowden's wife, Sharon Lynn Bowden, was also charged with second-degree murder, though it isn't clear whether she was ever convicted. Shuler later said that he had also fired at a flatbed tri-state motor truck traveling in front of Galt Semi, but he wasn't able to disable it. He argued that he didn't intend to hurt anybody, of course not! According to his nineteen seventy two appeal, quote, Shuler testified that he did not mean to do any bodily harm to anyone, and he never considered the possibility that I might be carrying dynamite and that he was wanting to disable the truck, end quote. Prosecutors argued that Shuler had been drinking much of the day with Bowden on september thirtieth, and that as a company driver, he should have known that half of the materials transported by Tri State Motors were explosives. Shuler was sentenced to 99 years in prison and paroled after 8 years. Really? Gerald Bowden was also convicted on second-degree murder charges and sentenced to 10 years. He was paroled in 1975. If you want to take a more in-depth look, this report will be in the show notes. Now, next up, a man admits to scheming truckers out of more than a million dollars. A Maryland man has played pled guilty to fraud charges after he allegedly rerouted and stole more than a thousand payment checks from trucking companies as a part of a quote double brokering quote scheme. On September 26, 43-year-old William Francis Hickey III pled guilty to two federal wire fraud charges relating to a scheme that took place between May 2016 and January 31, 2019. According to court documents, Hickey acted as a manager for two companies, Hickey Consulting and Latino Consulting, while he participated in a, quote, double brokering scheme that defrauded truckers and brokers out of more than a million dollars. From the U.S. Attorney's Office District of Maryland quote specifically from May 2016 through January 31st 2019 Hickey conspired with others including a co-conspirator in Pakistan to devise and execute a scheme to defraud trucking companies and logistical brokers hired by shippers to arrange for companies trucking companies to transport their loads. As detailed in the plea agreement, logistical brokers are hired by shippers of goods to arrange for transportation of the goods by trucking companies. Brokers pay trucking companies for transporting loads through, quote, trucking industry checks by providing a numerical code referred to in the trucking industry as an express code, which the trucking company uses to populate a blank check from its book of truck industry Checks. In other words, comm data, EFS, you know, this is all legalese. The broker typically makes two payments to the trucking company a fuel advance, which is made after the company has picked up its load, and the final payment after the load has been delivered. Truck industry checks can be deposited into a bank account or cashed at a truck stop or check cashing establishment. Com checks, EFS checks. That kind of thing. Hickey admitted that he and his co-conspirators obtained truck industry checks from brokers by posing as legitimate trucking companies, entering into agreements with brokers to transport loads, rebrokering or, quote, double-brokering the same load to an actual trucking company, and then seeking payment from the brokers for transportation services that the members of the conspiracy did not provide. After the legitimate trucking company picked up the load, the conspirators requested an express code from the broker for the fuel advance payment, then used the express code to populate and subsequently cash or deposit a truck industry check. In some cases, the conspirators also requested a second express code from the original broker after the load was delivered to deposit a second truck industry check. The co- conspirators did not pay the trucking company that actually transported the goods. Hickey is accused of providing brokers with fraudulent insurance documents, DOT licensing forms, and W-9 forms, all by using fake email addresses and phone numbers to pull off the scheme. Authorities say that Hickey deposited more than 1,000 checks Totaling oh, Excuse me, one million one hundred seventy-one thousand three hundred fourteen dollars and eleven cents into his business accounts and failed to pay the trucking companies for the services that they provided. Hickey is scheduled to be sentenced on December twentieth, twenty nineteen. He could face up to twenty years in prison. And now a su- suspect dead after ramming and shooting at police during a semi-truck pursuit. And, of course, where is it going to happen? California. California police say that a person driving a semi-truck was killed by gunfire during a police pursuit in Yucca Valley on Sunday night. And this, again, was reported on September 30th. The San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office says that the incident began around 9.30 p.m. on September 29th when they received a call about, quote, a suspicious semi-truck at a residence in Apple Valley. When police responded and located the semi-truck, the driver refused to yield for police and a pursuit began and it was on. As the pursuit continued on Highway 247, a police helicopter joined in. Police say that spike strips were deployed twice during the pursuit. You really think those fuckers are going to work? Really? The suspect reportedly opened fire on the pursuing deputies and rammed a marked police vehicle as pursuit continued on Highway 62. Police say that the semi-truck left the road at Highway 62 in Pinion. Following a deputy-involved shooting, the suspect was pronounced dead at the scene. One deputy suffered minor injuries during the pursuit. The injuries were not a result of gunfire. The identity of the deceased suspect has not been released. The San Bernardino Sheriff's Office says that homicide investigators responded to the scene and that the incident remains under investigation. And here's another good one that you'll enjoy. With the runaway ramp being closed, a semi goes flying down a mountain pass and smashes into the gravel shed that houses all the dirt too and the uh, highway dressing for when the snow flies. In Wyoming, the highway patrol said, quote, the cab flew through at least 100 feet away from the trailer and hit a tree. When it hit that tree, it broke the motor off and the motor fell down at the base of the tree, end quote. And this was on the 30th of September. Last night, a semi-truck crashed into a gravel storage shed at the bottom steep mountain pass in Wyoming. A semi-truck hauling potatoes and onions was reportedly traveling down Teton Pass at a high rate of speed when it crashed into a gravel shed located at the bottom of the pass. Wyoming Highway Patrol Todd Baxter told local news that the truck driver, quote, veered off and went across oncoming traffic lane, which the other drivers had moved out of, and drove straight into our sand storage shed. The gravel acted like a ramp. When the trailer struck, there was still enough momentum that the cab was ripped right off of the frame. The cab flew through the air at least 100 feet away from the trailer and hit a tree. When it hit that tree, it broke the motor off and the motor fell down at the base of the tree. There are potatoes and onions everywhere, end quote. The truck driver was then taken to the hospital. His condition is unknown and his identity has not yet been released. The runaway ramp on Teton Pass has been shut down since September 10th after it partially failed when it was used by a pickup truck hauling a load of logs. The Wyoming Department of Transportation shut down the ramp to investigate the failure. Trooper are, troopers are still investigating whether the truck's brakes failed or whether the weight was a, a factor in the crash. Charges could be filed, they say. And this episode of Julia's Truck and Cafe is brought to you by my Patriot Supply. As truck drivers, we all know what it's like to be at a shippers or receivers and have to wait to be loaded for hours on end, am I right? Especially produce coolers and paper mills. That's why you need to be prepared with extra food in your truck. My Patriot Supply helps you stay prepared. Now, it's not what you may be thinking. My patriot. Patriot Supply is delicious emergency food they have food kits that are good up to 25 years they come in a plastic slimline tote that you could easily store in your food pantry or under your bunk I could speak from experience after living through Hurricane Katrina and for those people now that were dealing with Hurricane Dorian we were without power for 10 days my mother and my son and I and if it weren't for the MREs that were flown into us we wouldn't have had any food. Four, not one, not two, but four 60 foot pine trees broke in half during that storm and landed across my driveway, laying locking me in. I couldn't get out for food. And there were four mile gas lines. Now for a limited time, you could get a one week supply of food in a handy and neat looking ammo can for just $39. And they even offer gluten free food for under $100. Just go to my website at juliastruckingcafe.com and click on the emergency food supply tab. Scroll down and click on any image to find out more information. Well, you insure your car, you buy health insurance, and what about vision and dental? why not buy food insurance stay prepared for anything that happens with my patriot supply get yours today it's delicious food i have some in my truck now back to the news a semi wallops a large moose in a dash cam video dennis schiller recently sent in an unreal dash cam clip featuring a semi truck versus moose collision. Now this happened up in Canada. Schiller says that the very close encounter with the moose happened to his brother Vitali on the Saskatchewan Highway. Schiller says that the moose caused $20,000 worth of damage to the semi-truck and there's a video in the bottom of this article that'll be in my show notes. Now the FMCSA is reminding everybody that the voluntary registration for the drug and alcohol database is still o- is open. Mandatory compliance is coming soon. The FMCSA has opened registration for its uh, commercial driver's license drug and alcohol clearinghouse. Voluntary registration for the drug and alcohol clearinghouse opened on October 1st. The mandatory compliance date is July 6th of 2020. At this time, motor carriers will be required to query the drug and alcohol clearinghouse database before hiring a driver and once per year for existing drivers. The FMCSA says that drivers are not required to register by the mandatory compliance date, but they must be registered in order to provide employers with electronic permission to query their drug and alcohol records prior to hiring. They will also be able to use the clearinghouse to view their own drug and alcohol records. The Clearinghouse's secure federal database that provides real-time information about CDL driver drug and alcohol violations. The FMCSA, CMV employers, state driver licensing agencies, and law enforcement officials will all have complete access to the Clearinghouse. There is no cost to register. Quote, at this time, congressional mandate is enacted. FMCSA's goal is to ensure drivers, employers, and everyone who will be using the clearinghouse are registered as efficiently and effectively as possible. FMCSA is here to help. be helpful during the implementation, and we strongly encourage all CMV stakeholders to get registered in the clearinghouse now, said FMCSA Administrator Raymond Martinez. All CDL driver drug and alcohol test failures will be recorded in the clearinghouse, including, one, report for duty, remain on duty for safety sensitive function with alcohol concentration of .04 or greater or while using any prohibited drug. Two, alcohol use while performing or within four hours of performing a safety sensitive function. Three, alcohol use within eight hours of a post-accident alcohol test. Four, test positive for use of specified drugs. This could include a post-crash test, a pre-employment drug screen, or a random drug test. Five, refusing to submit to a required alcohol or drug test. They're not numbered. I may have said five twice. The clearinghouse will also contain information on whether a CDL holder has completed the necessary procedures to return to duty after a failed or drug or alcohol test. Until January 6, 2023, trucking companies will be required to access the clearinghouse in addition to requesting traditional drug and alcohol violation histories from a driver's previous employers. After 2023, the past three years of drug and alcohol violation information will all be stored in the clearinghouse and manual record requests will no longer be required. And there's a link here in the article if you want to begin the voluntary registration process. I'll wait. In other news... Kansas troopers seek truck driver who recorded a video of a serious multi-vehicle crash. Yesterday, on October 1st, the Kansas Highway Patrol asked for help locating a truck driver who was behind the wheel during a violent crash involving multiple semi-trucks in mid-September. On October 1st, um, the Kansas Highway Patrol shared a Facebook post in an attempt to connect with a truck driver involved in a serious crash. And it reads, help needed. We would like to make contact with a truck driver who took this video so we could have more information about this crash. The crash happened on September 14th, 2019, around 1 p.m. in Ellis County. If you have any information about this, please message me. Thank you all for your assistance and please drive safe. The crash occurred when 40-year-old motorist, Monica Miller crossed through the median on I-70 and crashed into oncoming semi-trucks. Miller was taken to the hospital, but eventually passed away from her injuries. Truck drivers Daniel Cezao 44, and Donald R. Ryman, 57, were not hurt in the crash. Their update, as of October 2nd, the Kansas Highway Patrol says that they have located the truck and company associated with the video. Around 11 a.m., they posted a new Facebook post that said, reads update. Thank you all for your help. We have located the company. Good deal. Now another town has passed an ordinance. I will talk eventually. Y'all laughing at me. That has no truck parking on city streets. The city of Milton, Wisconsin, that's M-I-L-T-O-N, passed an ordinance this week that will ban almost all semi-truck parking on city streets. That was last week, of course. On October 1st, the Milton City Council passed an ordinance restricting semi-truck parking on all but one city street by a 6-1 to vote. The parking ordinance will prevent drivers from parking their trucks on residential roadways in front of their homes. The ordinance cites the possibility of damage to streets and safety issues caused by visibility obstruction as reasons for the truck parking ban. Per the ordinance, the only city street in the city that truck drivers may park on is Commerce Way. This location was selected for overnight truck parking because it is an undeveloped part of town. The ordinance also forbids parking a semi-truck more than 48 hours in a single week on Commerce Way. City officials say that truck drivers who cannot park on Commerce Way can park at businesses that allow truck parking in their lots. An earlier version of the ordinance would have allowed for truck parking in a residential driveway. Council member Bill Wilson said, Quote, what we have come up with is something that addresses the residential concerns that have been expressed and always provides a way for the owners of places that use these types of vehicles to have a place in the city to park, end quote. Milton is the latest in the long string of cities to crack down on truck parking in the past few years. Other places have recently nicked some or all truck parking on their streets, including Joliet, Illinois, Ozark, Missouri, and Lee County, Florida. Controversial Michigan roadside drug testing kicks off statewide last week. During a year-long pilot program, the results of the several roadside saliva drug tests conflicted with blood test results. Law enforcement officers across the state of Michigan will be able to conduct roadside drug testing on drivers starting last week. In spite of, in spite of the fact, the results of the roadside saliva tests have not always aligned with the results from the later blood tests. On October first, a roadside drug testing pilot program that started in. Five Michigan counties in 2017 officially expanded to statewide, meaning that law enforcement officials throughout the state may now collect and test the driver's saliva for drugs using a mouth swab. From the news release, the Michigan State Police quote, under the pilot program, a DRE, Drug Recognition Expert, may require a person to submit to a preliminary oral fluid analysis to detect the presence of controlled substance. In the person's body, if they suspect the driver is impaired by drugs. The preliminary oral fluid analysis will be conducted by a DRE on the person's oral fluid, obtained by mouth swab, and will be administered along with a drug recognition 12 step evaluation currently used by DREs. End quote. The roadside tests are intended to detect the presence of amphetamines, benzodiazepines, and cannabis. Delta-9-THC, cocaine, methamphetamines, and opiates. During the initial pilot program launched in November 2017, a large percentage of the roadside saliva tests detected the presence of drugs that could not be confirmed by later blood test results. Throughout the year-long pilot program, Troopers administered 92 saliva tests and found that 83 of those drivers tested positive for drugs. Michigan State Police reported that after comparing the roadside test to blood test, there were several instances when the saliva test showed the presence of drugs that were not found in the blood test. Six times for amphetamines, twice for cocaine, one for methamphetamine, and 11 times for THC. The study pointed to delays in the collection of the blood samples for some of the discrepancies between the saliva testing and blood testing. Michigan State Police also says that, quote, the initial pilot program provided valuable data on the performance of the oral fluid test instrument when coupled with law enforcement observed driver behavior and standardized field sobriety tests, but the overall sample size was way too small to draw any definitive conclusions on the tool's usefulness for law enforcement, end quote. Authorities believe that by expanding the pilot program statewide, they will be able to collect more data to better determine whether roadside drug testing is indeed in fact effective. Quote, This additional statewide data will help determine the usefulness of this tool for law enforcement as we work to get drug-impaired drivers off of Michigan's roads, said Lt. Col. Richard Arnold, commander of Michigan State Police Field Operations Bureau. Quote, roadside oral fluid testing continues to show promise And by expanding this pilot, we'll have a larger body of results by which to determine the tool's effectiveness. And in other news, a semi truck seriously sideswiped by a box truck in a dash cam video. A major collision involving a semi truck and a box truck was caught on dash cam. The dash cam clip was shared by a commercial driver, video telematics company, Light. L-Y-T-X, Inc., on October, last week. In the video, you can see the semi-truck driver appears to be passing the box truck when the box truck driver veers into his lane, sending both vehicles crashing into the center barrier and nearly wrenching the hood off of the semi. You can view the clip below that this will be in the show notes. And again, a driver's inattention is blamed for a triple fatal crash on I-70. This was reported on October 3rd last week. Now in Ohio, the Ohio State Patrol says that a multi-vehicle crash that claimed three lives October 2nd was caused by driver inattention. The crash happened on the afternoon of Wednesday, October 2nd on westbound I-70 in Preble County near the Indiana border. According to Ohio State Patrol, the crash happened when construction on the Indiana side of the border backed up traffic into Ohio. Two semi-trucks and a Chevy Trailblazer were in slow traffic on westbound I-70 when a third semi-truck rear-ended the Chevy Trailblazer and pushed it into the semi-trucks in front of it and then off of I-70 into the grass. Good Lord, he must have been flying. The Chevy Rolled and two people, Richard Shiverdecker, 71, and Karen Shiverdecker, 65, inside were ejected. They both died at the scene. The driver of one of the semi-trucks, 68-year-old Robert Freikland, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, had to be extracted from his vehicle and was airlifted to a nearby hospital where he later died. One other minor injury was reported. Ohio State Patrol says they do not believe that alcohol, drugs, or speed factored into the crash. However, Sergeant Jeff Kramer told ohio tv station that it really just boils down to driver inattention westbound i-70 was shut down for hours for cleanup and investigation of the crash all lanes then reopened and i was going through there over the weekend and i was wondering why it was backed up so doggone bad and in a new report feds are looking into stage crashes targeting truck drivers and where A new report from Louisiana News Outlet indicates that federal authorities are investigating a series of suspicious accidents that may be insurance fraud targeting truckers and their insurance companies. Last week, the local news station reported that United States Attorney General's office has stayed three lawsuits due to quote an ongoing criminal investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office and may involve this case or witnesses or counsel to this proceeding, end quote. The report claims that all three suits involve plaintiffs who claim that they were hit by semi-trucks on I-10 or I-610 in New Orleans. The local station reports that the Louisiana State Insurance Commissioner is investigating claims of stage accidents at this time and is not clear whether or not the local station report that the U.S. Attorney's Office investigation is related to a high-profile case during which a federal judge in New Orleans threw out a lawsuit in April of 2019 at the request of the plaintiffs against Mississippi trucking company company Whitestone Transportation for their alleged involvement in a November 2017 crash on I-10. During this crash, a motorist weighed down a Whitestone truck driver, Robert Reynolds, to tell him that he had a Caused a crash with their car. Reynolds reportedly found no damage to his truck to indicate that he'd been involved in an accident. The three plaintiffs, Tiffany Turner, Adante Turner, and Demetrius Frazier, sought $1 million in damages for what they claimed were serious physical injuries. And yeah, they all do that crap. The legal team representing Whitestone filed a countersuit, claiming that they found evidence of 30 other similar questionable crashes on I-10 and 610 that appear to be targeting truckers. Attorney for Whitestone wrote, quote, "These similar questionable facts include alleged accidents on Interstate 10 and/or 610 in the New Orleans area, where an unknown third vehicle weighs down an 18-wheeler driver that is unaware that he or she has allegedly involved in an accident." End quote. The lawsuit against Whitestone was dismissed with prejudice and may not be reopened. You can check out the video in the article. Again, that'll be in the show notes. Hence, the reason why you keep your head moving from left to center to right, back to center, back to left, out your mirrors, along your windshield and your dash, back out your right window, right mirror. You make sure you know where you are at at all times, where traffic is around you at all times. Do not just look straight ahead like you have tunnel vision or you have blinders on. This is the reason why I keep harping to do that. Your head should constantly be moving. Now in other news. Pilot Flying J addresses those flag rem- rumors that are still going around. Remember last year in my uh, one of my episodes, I reported that there's rumors flying that Pilot Flying J was not patriotic and refused to fly the American flag. So with rumors flying around social media about changes to flag policy, truck stop giant Pilot Flying J has issued a statement to try to set the record straight. In the past few weeks, multiple Facebook users have shared posts claiming that Pilot Flying J is removing America flags from their store locations. Kathy... States, I just talked to a manager of a pilot Flying J. The rumor is true that they have removed all American flags from their location to not intimidate drivers from other countries. To all my friends and family out there, please do not shop at Pilot Flying J and please spread this message. This is America. Let's stand up for our flag and our country. This rumor initially began in the spring of 2018, like I said last year, when Facebook user David Moore shared a video claiming that Pilot Flying J removed the flag from store locations because it offended, quote, foreigners. After the video went viral, the rumor was debunked by fact-checking site Snopes and other media outlets. Pilot also issued a statement explaining that the flag was not flying because the flagpole was broken. A likely story. The rumor started to recirculate in late September 2019, and Fla- Facebook posts about flag removal had become so widely shared that Pilot Flying J issued another statement last week, once again denying that they are removing the flag from their stores. We are aware that rumor questioning our respect to the American flag is recirculating. The rumor is absolutely false. We strongly stand behind our commitment to honor the flag at every U.S. location, inside or out. We take great pride in in being an American-owned and veteran-founded company. Several Facebook users shared photos of flags being flown at Pilot Flying J stores to back up the company's statement. Yeah, they have a little bitty one inside. There is one uh, Randy sent in flying outside. And another one uh, Shelly sent in in Kentucky. That's only three. They got hundreds of locations all over the country. So a man is accused of stealing four semi-trucks from a trucking company. Police say that a man is facing multiple felony charges for allegedly stealing four semi-trucks from a business in New Mexico. Back in September, 53-year-old Farmington, New Mexico resident Clyde Smith was arrested and charged with 10 felony counts. Four for vehicle theft, four for vehicle burglary, and two for criminal damage to property. The arrest came after police were dispatched to U.S. Transport in Farmington around 620, AM on September 20th for a suspected stolen burglarized vehicle. After a manager confirmed that a semi-truck had been stolen slash burglarized, two employees arrived and found that two other trucks had also been stolen. One of the stolen trucks was discovered only 100 feet away from the business property. Inside one of the stolen trucks, investigators found a fast food paper bag that contained Smith's Medicaid card and booking bracelet from the San Juan County Adult Detention Center. He's a escapee! Another stolen semi-truck was discovered several miles away in Hogback, New Mexico area. A female witness later identified Smith from a photo and told police that he appeared to be intoxicated. A drunk escapee! On September 22nd, around 7.30 in the morning, police were once again called to U.S. Transport after an employee found a fourth semi-truck stolen. This vehicle was found just outside the business gate with two flat tires and damage to the underside of the truck. The front gate was almost damaged. I think he tried to drive through it. What do you think? After reviewing surveillance footage, the U.S. transport manager said that the truck thief appeared to be the same person who stole the other three, three trucks on September 20th. Smith was located by police and placed under arrest. In other words, they got their man. In other news, police now say that a fatal tr- <laughs> let's start that again. <laughs> police now say that a fatal truck crash was caused by an abandoned car. Lovely. Police in North Carolina say that a search is underway for a motorist who is responsible for causing a crash that claimed a truck driver's life on Friday, October 4th. Police say that a semi truck was traveling on outer northbound I four eighty five when a car crashed into the truck, causing it to swerve off the road. Hit a bridge pillar overturned and burst into flames. The semi truck was fully engulfed in flames and the truck driver did not make it out of the vehicle. He was pronounced dead at the scene. The car driver left their vehicle at the crash site and ran away on foot into a wooded area. Now an update as of 4:30 on October 4th following the investigation into the fiery semi-truck crash that killed a truck driver in Charlotte this morning. Police have changed their initial report about the cause of the crash. Troopers initially said that semi-truck traveling northbound on I-485 was hit by a car, sending the truck crashing into a bridge pillar, causing it to catch fire, killing the truck driver. Now, troopers say that the initial report was not correct and that the semi-truck collided with an abandoned car. The owner of the car said they were on their way to a job interview when the car became disabled. The car owner reported that they turned on hazard lights and pulled the car as far off of the shoulder as possible and left the scene. It isn't clear whether the car was still partially in the active lanes of the interstate when it was abandoned. The local TV reported that one witness reported that the car was partially obstructing a lane. Troopers say that no charges have been filed at this time. Police have not yet released the name of the truck driver, but they did reveal that he is from Georgia. But he did die in the crash. So our condolences to him and all of the drivers that are hurt, injured, or have passed away. Now, in other news, a major trucking Transportation Safety Group weighed in on the new hours of service rules and they aren't very impressed. Um, boo-hoo. A federal transportation safety group has weighed in on FMCSA's proposed changes to hours of service regs and found that there's no evidence that the changes will improve highway safety. You think? On September 20th, the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, admitted formal comments... I'll talk eventually. Let me try this again. On September 20th, the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, submitted formal comments on the FMCSA advance notice of proposed rulemaking on truck drivers or hours of service regs. The chairman wrote, quote, currently, there is no evidence to suggest that the modifications to the hours of service regulations discussed will improve safety. Before proposing any changes to the hours of service regs, the FMCSA should determine how such changes would affect the amount of sleep time obtained by CMV drivers, how they might affect circadian cycles, and ultimately how they would affect the safety of those drivers and the motoring public, end quote. The NTSB also chided the FMCSA for using ELDs as an excuse to relax regulations. Quote, we reject the notion that the improved capability to enforce the HOS rule regulations made possible by the implementation of ELDs provides a rationale to weaken those regulations, end quote. The NTSB said that they have long supported science-based hours of service regs to reduce the likelihood of fatigue-related crashes. Really? We're not having fatigue-related crashes now, are we? What are we having? Hmm, let me think. Didn't I just report on uh, distracted driving? Didn't I report on last week? Distracted driving. Didn't I report on the week before? Distracted driving. They're worried about fatigue driving. This group is a joke. The group cited safety recommendations issued to the FMCSA in 1999 asking for scientifically based changes to hours of service and said that they stand by that decades old recommendation. Decades old is right. Specifically, the 1999 recommendation asked the FMCSA to, quote, "Establish within two years, scientifically based hours of service regs that set limits on hours of service, provide predictable work and rest schedules, and consider circadian rhythms and human sleep and rest requirements. At a minimum, as recommended by the National Transportation Safety Board in 1995, the revised regulations should also, A, require sufficient rest provisions, To enable drivers to obtain at least eight continuous hours of sleep after driving for ten hours or being on duty for fifteen hours, and B, eliminate forty-nine Code of Federal Regs, three ninety-five point one paragraph H, which allows drivers with sleeper berth equipment to accumulate the eight hours of off-duty time in two separate periods. Yeah, that was their idea to turn around and get rid of the eight hours off-duty or sleep period and go to freaking 10-hour rule. You can view a brief overview of the proposed changes to the hours of service regs in this article. That'll be in the show notes. I am not going to waste your time on this. We have went over this before. I have other articles, more important articles to get to. Now, in other news, a load shifted suspected to cause a rollover of a rig that was caught on camera an Illinois man captured a wild video of a semi-truck it's always wild you know It every time I read these articles it's always a wild ride of a semi-truck rolling over an intersection as the driver tried to make a turn The video was captured in Effingham, Illinois, and was shared by a Facebook user. The truck driver had reportedly just picked up a load of paint and later said that he believed that the load shifted, causing the rollover. You can view the video again in the show notes. There's also, will be in the show notes, I'm not going to go over this either. Um, Because of how I was treated by this um, organization. So I'm not going to even give them link clicks or nothing. But they have uh, released the top companies for women to work for in transportation um, revealed. I'm not even going to go over this. If you want to read that, that's in the show notes as well. And a truck driver takes a car for a ride in a viral video. Uh, This happened last week, October 1st. Watch and try to figure out what the heck happened as a car gets shoved down the roadway in a viral video that surfaced last week. The video was shared, of course, on Facebook by a Texas resident who captioned the video, I couldn't believe what happened and he left like nothing happened. Or, I'm I'm sorry, yeah, he, he left like nothing happened. Since the video was posted on Facebook, it has been viewed more than 400,000 times. And... But it looks like the car is trying to wedge his way in front of a truck to me. And that's what you get. I'll push you down the damn road too. In other news, police cited a trash truck driver for causing violent crash with a semi-truck. Police say that a garbage truck driver got a ticket for failure to yield the right-of-way while making a left-hand turn. Wisconsin police shared dash cam footage of an intense crash between a semi-truck and a garbage truck as a reminder to drivers... To make sure that all through traffic lanes are clear before entering an intersection from a stop sign. The video was shared by Manitowoc Police Last week, police say that the crash occurred around 10:15 on September 30th at the intersection of Memorial Drive and Rero Drive in Manitowoc. Police say that the garbage truck driver was cited for failure to yield the right of way while making a left-hand turn. In other words, he turned in front of somebody, you know, which uh, happens to me all the effin' time. Now, police bust a truck stop theft ring tar- that's targeting sleeping drivers. In Birmingham, Alabama, police say that they have arrested three people in connection with a series of truck stop thefts. Police say that they began investigating the suspected truck stop theft ring after noticing an uptick in thefts at the Citgo and Pilot truck stops located on Bankhead Highway in Birmingham. Investigators say that many of the thefts involved breaking into the trailers of semi-trucks while the drivers were sleeping. After launching an investigation into the thefts and examining surveillance video, police were able to identify Eric Taylor, 40 years old, Quinton Babs, 42. Both men were arrested. Good for them. Taylor faces a charge... Of unlawful breaking and entering a vehicle. Babs was charged with receiving stolen property. Quinton Babs, during the course of the investigation, police discovered that the items stolen from the trailers were being transported to a residence about a mile away from the truck stop where they were reportedly exchanged for drugs. Police obtained a search warrant for the residents and found items stolen from the truck stop in addition to thousands of dollars worth of cash. Suspected stolen items discovered at the home included meat, laundry detergent, boxes of macaroni and cheese, and large bags of sugar. 51-year-old Patricia Brown was arrested in connection with the results of the search. Brown was charged with receiving stolen property in addition to drug-related charges. Now, I hope you like your bagels good and toasted. Thousands of pounds of frozen bagels were toasted by... A semi trailer fire. Indiana State Police say thousands of pounds of bagels went up in flames after a semi truck brake mishap. The incident occurred on this last Sunday, October 6, around 530 in the evening in Jasper County, Indiana. Troopers say that the fire began as 31-year-old Florida-based truck driver Queen Lewis was hauling a load of 38,000 pounds of frozen bagels on I-65. Trooper Mason Wiley, a trooper from the Lafayette District who was off duty, was southbound on I-65 near the 209 mile marker when he saw a semi-truck pulling a box trailer that was northbound smoking heavily from the rear axle. Trooper Wiley turned around on the cross over on I-65 and stopped the semi on the right shoulder at the 209.5 mile marker. By the time the brakes of the semi-trailer were on By that time, I'm sorry, the brakes on the semi-trailer were on fire and spreading to the trailer itself. The driver failed to release the brakes, causing them to spark fire. The rear tires exploded during the heat from the brake fire. Troopers say that Lewis was able to disconnect the tractor from the trailer and no injuries were reported. In Pennsylvania, the DOT is warning drivers about 18-month rest area closures. Pennsylvania transportation officials are warning drivers to plan ahead for long-term rest area closure that will go into effect later this month. Starting on the 16th of October, both the north and southbound lanes on I-81 rest areas in Grantville near mile marker 79 will be shut down for construction. The rest areas are scheduled to reopen in the summer of 2021, meaning that drivers who frequent the I-81 corridor will have to put up with an 18-month closure. During the rest area closure, the facilities will be unavailable to drivers. Drivers will also not be allowed to park on the rest area ramps or the parking area itself. During the closure, Pennsylvania DOT will upgrade the rest area facilities and crew at more truck parking spaces. The next available rest area in I-81 for southbound drivers is in Cumberland County at mile marker 38, The next available rest area going northbound is Luzerne County at mile marker 157. Pennsylvania DOT says they have warned truck stops along I-81 that they should expect to see increased truck traffic during their rest area closures. And finally, in the news, police cleared a truck driver of wrongdoing and a fatal crash, but the family is still suing for $10 million. The woman's car spun out on an icy road and the truck driver braked and swerved, but wasn't able to avoid hitting her. In North Dakota, woman is suing a truck driver and his company for millions of dollars following a fatal crash that claimed the lives of her two children, in spite of the fact that state investigators said that the truck driver did nothing wrong. Fargo resident Trista Curry recently filed a lawsuit against truck driver Michael Soiring, and Panel Gold Baking Company following a crash that occurred on an icy interstate in March of 2018. The crash occurred as Curry was driving with her three children in the vehicle on northbound I-29 near Grand Forks on the way to a family gathering. According to the report in the Grand Forks Herald, weather conditions became icy on the interstate and Curry's vehicle spun out and slid in front of the semi driven by Soyring. North Dakota State Police said that Sawyering braked and steered to the left to try to avoid the crash, but couldn't stop in time. The resulting two-vehicle crash, Curry's nine-year-old and one-year-old sons were killed. Curry's three-year-old daughter was seriously injured, but survived. Curry herself sustained several serious injuries, including broken ribs, a liver laceration, and a fractured arm. Sawyering wasn't hurt in the crash. Following that crash, the Grand Forks County State's Attorney's Office declined to press charges against either driver. Investigators found that Sawyer Ring was not distracted, that he was driving safely for conditions, and that his equipment was in good working order. Investigators also said that there was no evidence of distracted driving from Curry and that the children were properly restrained. Despite the findings, Curry filed suit, claiming that Soaring failed to exercise extreme cautions by driving too fast for weather conditions and not managing a reasonable following distance for traffic ahead of him, which resulted in him crashing his tractor-trailer into Krista's car, end quote. And I'm sure she got a lawyer, like the ones you see on the billboards, what I call ambulance chasers, that turned around and, oh, you we could get you $10 million from this accident. I'm sorry that her children died. I truly, truly am. But, I mean, that's one thing that worries me every time the weather turns to crap is somebody spinning out in front of me and I wouldn't be able to stop, and running over and killing him? The lawsuit also argues that Panagold should have known about the inclement weather conditions and should have ordered Sawyer off the road. It further accuses Panagold of negligence for failing to equip the truck with standard safety equipment that likely would have prevented the collision or aided in the prevention of the severity of the collision. The lawsuit seeks $10 million in damages. Uh, Like I said, she just, I'm sorry for her loss, but she just went after the trucking company and he wasn't even found negligent or anything like that. So I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you who tune in every week to listen to me on the cafe. If you are new here and you would like to check us out, When you go to the website. Now if you see this post on Facebook. Let me explain something. If you see this post on Facebook. Click it. Tap on it. It will take you right to to my website. Then there is a little player right below the picture. Hit play. And you can listen to me talk about. All of these articles most of the people or most of my likes on Facebook are not even bothering to see what what I'm talking about or, or what what the deal is or anything you know I had a pretty funny show last week I thought you know click the little player so I did that on purpose to advertise on Facebook about from the website because in case you don't have an iPhone or you have an iPhone and don't have an Android or you don't, don't want to do either and you want to listen to it on your desktop or on your tablet. You can go straight to the website. It, anybody can listen to it from there. So the little player underneath the picture just hit play and you could go ahead and listen to me Yammer. Or you could also find me on iHeart, YouTube, and Apple Podcast along with our Facebook page and our discussion group on Julia's Truck and Cafe regulars. On the website, under Cafe Menu and Cooking in Your Truck, I share recipes and I even do little cooking videos. I would also ask if you want to read the articles for yourself, please subscribe to our email list and I'll send them to you right to your inbox. This way you don't have to keep coming back to the website. In the future, I'm having new things coming out. I'm working diligently on really boosting the YouTube channel. So I'm, I'm working on some new stuff. You're going to be able to be the first ones to find out what I'm working on if you join the email list or the discussion group. And before I get forget, please feel free to leave a comment on any bottom of any episode on the website that you listen to or on the Facebook page. I read each and every one. Also, if you have an idea for an upcoming show, please feel free to email me. My email is info at truckingcafe.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at truckingcafe.com. And until next time, keep the shiny side up. Please turn on your headlights in bad weather. I mean, I had fog this morning. You know, really, really bad in Ohio, Pennsylvania line. When I had to go deliver at 3.30 this morning. And use your flashers if you're going below the minimum speed limit. Please, please, please. You know, backing up, use your flashers. It's a, a obvious sign that you're doing a maneuver. And that people shouldn't be walking behind you when you're trying to back into a spot. Or into a dock. I mean, you could crush somebody. You really could. So... Please use your turn signal, use your headlights, use your flashers. I hope everybody stays safe out there. Keep the shiny side up. Keep it between the ditches, not in the ditches, people, really. And until next time.